faith, confidence or trust in a person or thing. Reason, to think or argue in a logical manner, to form conclusions, judgments or inferences from facts or premises. Culture, the customary beliefs, social forms and material traits of a religious, racial or social group. Faith, reason, culture, with Dr. Melissa Travis and Daryl Youngblood. And welcome to this week's episode of the Faith, Reason, Culture podcast. With me, as always, Dr. Melissa Kane Travis. I am Ryan Hall, and thank you guys so much for joining us right here on the CGM Radio com network and today we are continuing our series where we are reviewing each episode of the chosen we've reviewed the first three episodes and now we are on to episode four of the chosen the rock on which it was built so uh dr travis i think our audience has definitely been appreciating your insights and commentary on the previous shows and looking forward to this show so what are your initial thoughts on this beginning episode the rock on which it is built obviously referring referring to simon peter looks like we're going to get a lot of focus on him this time around right so this episode is devoted largely to progressing some of the storylines that are already in motion from previous episodes and some character development and then we do have one big earth-shattering event to talk about that comes later on in the episode. But predominantly we're seeing the continuing saga of at Simon and all of the taxes that he owns and this deal that he's made with the Romans about tracking merchant fishing boats that are illegally fishing on Shabbat. And so the episode opens with Simon in a boat with Roman guards, I guess you could say Roman soldiers. Yeah. Uh, and they are sneaking through the foggy water on the sea at trying to track a merchant fishing boat and they come upon I don't know what it's called Ryan it's sort of like a buoy marker in yes. the water yeah, something like but that. they they use a word for it I don't remember what word it is uh, and so he Simon picks it up out of the water and it has the letter Z engraved on it and he immediately knows that the boat that they're going to be approaching through the mist uh, is one of Zebedee's boats is that is that what we're supposed yes. to understand I think so yeah so he's realizing oh no someone beloved to me is is going to get in a whole lot of trouble if I keep going. So he makes it look accidental, but he steers the Roman boat wrongly. His directions are wrong, and the boat ends up running into a sandbar and can't continue pursuing the merchant fishing vessel. And a skirmish ensues, and there's this fantastic scene of what I am convinced will turn out to be foreshadowing, where one of the Roman soldiers uh, nicks off a little part of Simon's ear with a sword. Yes, I don't think that was by accident. It does seem reminiscent of something that you see much later in the Gospels. Right, right. Okay, so then uh, next we see Simon 
having a conversation with his fellow fishermen, including Zebedee. You want to say a little bit about that? Sure. It, uh, you know, you're going into a, uh, a pub scene, uh, guys hanging out, talking, various people there, and we get a first shot, a more extended shot of the Zebedees, the, the father, Zebedee, and the two sons of Zebedee that will uh, uh, eventually be called the Sons of Thunder, James and John, and uh, Andrew is there, and they're having this roundtable discussion, and Simon has a proposition for them. Uh, he basically wants to, uh, he's in so many words asking the Zebedees, he's telling them about a deal that was made with the Romans, and he is asking them to essentially give them their catch. So he can give that to the Romans, and he can make it look like he fulfilled his end of the bargain. Am I, am I getting that correct? It's something to, to that extent. Right, 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 right. And, and they, of course, are like, well, for one, he obviously tells them he helped them out by, you know, not showing, by protecting them from the Romans, by not telling them whose buoy that was. But then he is also inviting them into it and into the deal. And the Zebedees say, well, especially the dad, Zebedee himself says, no way, you're nuts. I, I cannot do this. All right, then we we flash to a different scene at where we're seeing another subplot develop a little more. And this is a visit that Matthew makes to Quintus. And long story short of it, Quintus instructs Matthew to spy on Simon. Uh, and Matthew agrees. Yeah, and I just got to say, I love the exchange. I love every every scene with Quintus is going to be probably one of my favorites. He might be my favorite character in the whole series. I don't know. He, of course, is an evil individual. This is not a good man at all. He is anti-Semitic. He's, uh, you know, a part of the hierarchy of the, the Roman Empire, uh, subduing the Jews. But the way that Brandon Potter portrays Quintus, of course, is magnificent. And, and the exchange between, and of course, Paris Patel, who plays Matthew, is magnificent as well. He's, he's up there as well. But the scene between the two of them, and I love Matthew's line where he says, I, um, you know, I, I have a dog, and my, the dog <laughs> guards the tax collector's booth, or my home, I forget which one it was, and Quintus just starts laughing. You know, he just loves this guy. Again, this is... He, it, Matthew is kind of like his fun, shiny new toy that he gets to, it, it's his entertainment that he just, he relishes, almost relishes his time with Matthew because he's just so unique and different and, and ridiculous. And in his mind, though, so beneath him, but he's still just so intrigued by him. So Matthew's so guileless and he, it doesn't occur to Matthew that he should be intimidated by Quintus. <laughs> and that's what's so entertaining is that everyone else is so fearful. And then here's this little Jewish tax collector who doesn't even seem to realize. I mean, right? you know, I could have this guy run through with a sword with absolutely no recourse, no problem. And... And it's and he doesn't get that, and he just he's just he's so truth oriented, and like you said, guileless. He's I'm just gonna say what needs to be said, and you know you made a bad deal, with, yeah. with Simon. I think you, the Roman praetor of this area, made a bad. I'm a Jew telling you you did something wrong, right, right. And right. he just doesn't get that there's a gravity to that so much that I think Gaius, his escort, doesn't even want to be in the same room with him uh, at that point. 
Okay, so then we flash to another scene where there is yet another subplot proceeding. And this is a scene in which Pharisees are reporting to Nicodemus about the activities of John the Baptist. And Nicodemus is intrigued. And you get the very real sense from his facial expressions and his mannerisms and his words that he this is not a situation in which he wants to go on some witch hunt with John the Baptist. Nicodemus is genuinely intrigued by what this figure is doing and teaching. And so he asks, well, what was his message about? And uh, and then they they do some more back and forth and they want to know what Nicodemus is going to do. And he finally says to these Pharisees, it depends on who he is. And so in this moment, you get the distinct impression that Nicodemus knows something is up in a big way. Something's going down. And John the Baptist has clearly entered his radar as being part of whatever it is that's going on. And he's, you can see Nicodemus sort of trying to connect the dots in his head between the, the deliverance of Mary from demonic possession. And now there's this weird stuff going on with this man, John the baptizer. Uh, So as I said, Nicodemus knows something is afoot and he wants to know what it is. Yeah, exactly. And and then it, yeah, he adjourns the meeting pretty abruptly. The Pharisees are kind of confused by that. They don't really know what he's thinking. And then we go from there to a scene with, uh, uh, in Peter's home, Peter and Eden's home with Eden and Eden's brothers. And uh, there's a big problem, and the big problem is, of course, that the, the their Ema, um, her mother, is sick. Yes, so her mother is sick. Simon doesn't realize that when he gets there. He just see, eat, sees Eden with her brothers, and then from the back room, you hear someone coughing, and they explain that his mother-in-law, Eden's mother— is very sick, that she has coughing fits, that she's actually coughing up blood, and things are not looking good for her, and that she needs to stay with them so that Eden can look after her. And Simon is not having it. He, he, he's he got so much on his plate already that caring for an ailing mother-in-law is the very last thing he can wrap his mind around. And then he breaks down and he tells Eden, look, we're in danger of losing the house and I'm in danger of going to prison. And so they they enter into this very interesting conversation about Simon's tendency to always try to fix things himself instead of seeking the Lord and placing his faith in the Lord's providence. And, and it really is amazing. That scene just made me think about, because Eden, she pulls no punches with him. <laughs> she tells it like it is, and it's exactly what Simon needed to hear. And sometimes we all need that, right? Sometimes we all need someone to just speak straight to us and tell it like it is, especially when we're acting like Simon was acting, uh, which was not good. I mean, literally... Fishing on Shabbat was almost like treason in the Jewish community. I mean, that is a big deal. That's the only part of the ceremonial law that you do every single 
week. Right. And right. and this was a it was so a part of the Jewish so a part of the Jewish culture. And she she lets him have it. And and he tries to defend himself. He says, "Well, we can break a commandment yeah. to save a life." Right? So that that's his whole right. defense. And and she says, "You don't know that your you don't know that your life is in danger, that our lives are in danger because you haven't been seeking the Lord." It would've been one thing if Simon had been seeking the Lord and trusting in him, but he was trying to do everything on his own. Like you said, fixing everything, charming everyone, the popular Simon. That this was not the man that I originally married. And a lot of times, and that's what, uh, what, you know, especially uh, at least speaking from a, from a, someone who is a husband, from their perspective, what a, a wife can do for a husband is to do the very thing that she did is point out those things. Cause we can, you know, we can get so tunnel vision and so trying to fix things on our own and, and our, our wives, our partners can be there for us to say, Hey, I, you've got some big, some stuff in your, your your blind spots here that you're not seeing, and 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 here it is, and so it results in, of course, Simon leaving. He's upset, and he's at this point, he's kind of at his lowest point. Yes. So on top of everything else, he now has all this marital tension. His wife's livid right. with him. They're not on the same page, and he has his ailing mother-in-law, who he now has to worry about supporting in his home. So things are not good. Yeah, it's it's the lowest, and, and he's about to be captured by the Romans and sent to prison, and so everything everything is falling apart. So, and then, and so he goes outside, and all of a sudden, Andrew rushes up, and and he's just clearly on fire with enthusiasm about something. And he tells Simon, um, I've seen the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he talks about an encounter involving John the Baptist. And uh, he can't get Simon to believe him. And at one point, you get the wry humor uh, of the of the character of Simon here. And he says, forgive me if I'm not jumping out of my sandals because creepy John pointed at somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's like, thanks. But, uh, this, whoever this guy is, is, is not going to be able to take care of what I need. And I want to say one thing that Eden said, and you definitely have to give a shout out to Laura Silva, who portrays Eden so masterfully, how she, uh, how she says that maybe God She's like, I know you're sorry. I'm glad you were honest with me, but maybe God can get your attention now. And right after that, Andrew comes up and he's like, we're saved. Yeah. <laughs> we found him. And he's just like, okay, whatever. Yeah. So we're, we're, already, we're seeing some of Simon's cynicism and skepticism. And I love that he refers to John the Baptist as creepy John. <laughs> Right. So we, we get this idea that uh, John the baptizer, as he's referred to in the series, uh, he doesn't have this stellar reputation even among the Jews. He's looked at as an oddity. Yeah. I'm wearing camel's hair, eating, you know, locusts and wild honey, hanging out in the wilderness, calling the. And that's one of the things that when Nicodemus was talking with the Pharisees in that scene earlier, they're, they're like, he called us snakes. What? Us? He called us snakes? Yeah. Oh. You know, they just, 
why would we be the snakes of all the people? You know, so he's an odd. He's calling out things. You know, of course, he's called out Herod. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I don't know if he's called out Herod yet in the series, but he will eventually. And uh, but yeah, it's he's he's the oddity of of oddities. We look at John the Baptist and we think kind of hero, uh, the man who paved the way of the Lord. They certainly were not looking at him in that way. All right. So at this point, Andrew departs and Simon catches Matthew yeah. spying on him. I love this. And and there's a little exchange between the two of them. And at one point, Simon says, you're a little off, aren't you? Yeah. Right. Right. So, right. Uh, he, he says what we're kind of all thinking regarding that character. Right. Um, right. Right. Um, and so then they have this little bit of dialogue. And there's this one line that comes from Matthew that is another instance of brilliant foreshadowing on the part of the writers. He looks at Simon and he says, no one listens to me, not like they do you. You have a singular talent. So we're seeing a bit of this yeah. foreshadowing of what the very title of the episode is, the rock on which it is built, which of course is referring to Jesus's words to Simon about being the rock on which the church will be built. Yeah. Um, and so we already know as, and, and I've, I've said this to you before, Ryan, even at this point in the series, I did not care for the character of Simon. And I don't think we're meant to. Right. I think we're meant to see what a deeply flawed man he is. But here, Matthew is calling out one of the talents of Simon, who we will know as Simon Peter later on. Um, and he says, people listen to you. You you are gifted with this ability. Um, and again, as I said, right. some beautiful foreshadowing Yeah, here. and coming from the most unlikely person to tell him that as well. Yeah. Coming from uh, the hated tax collector, Matthew, and a separate class of his own, you know, a separate class of sin. There's sinners and tax collectors. Uh, that's how poorly they were viewed in, uh, in Jewish society. And, but he's the one, right? The most, again, the most unlikely calling out, um, uh, really, and foreshadowing with the title of this episode, the, the rock on which it is built. And then Matthew tells Simon, "You have until sunup. You need to turn, or you need to turn yourself in." Yeah. So things are down to the wire for Simon. He's going to go out and fish one more time, and then if he doesn't catch enough to pay the debts, he's going to prison, and he knows it. Yeah. So yeah. that's where we are. Next scene, we have Nicodemus and his wife eating dinner. And in full form, she's yammering on and on about successes and opportunities. (laughs) I love it. I love her character. If If I haven't shared that enough, she's possibly one of my favorite characters she brings such a wonderful uh i mean obviously her her outlook is not wonderful but she brings to light uh, she brings to uh, uh she brings to the show uh, just that aspect of things that very worldly success oriented uh, side of things and she does it so brilliantly and it, it i love watching it i mean obviously she's a woman so she herself is not a pharisee but I mean, as the wife of a Pharisee, she is supremely Pharisaical, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Okay, so they're having dinner. Um, another Pharisee comes and knocks on the door. 
to inform Nicodemus of the arrest of John the Baptist. And Nicodemus immediately says, I want to question the baptizer myself. And at that point, we're all like, oh, can't wait to see that. Right, That's right. going to be quite an exchange. So very short scene. And then we we get back to Simon and he's all alone in the fishing boat. Again, he's catching absolutely nothing. It shows him casting the nets over and over and over. He's getting increasingly angry and frustrated. And you just know this is a man at his wits end. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think this scene that takes place on the boat with Simon all alone is one that viewers could resonate with. Surely um, everyone could resonate with uh, because he's so angry and frustrated that he just starts crying out to God in anger. And he says, this is the God I've served so faithfully my entire life. You're the God I'm supposed to thank. You know, if I didn't know any better, I'd say you enjoy yanking us around like goats and you can't decide whether we're chosen or not. Which one is it? And he's just yelling at the sky. He's just, like I said, he's at his wit's end. None of us have ever done that, of course. (laughs) We're far more spiritually advanced than Simon Peter. None of us has ever had moments like like that. What is going on? I've served you faithfully my well, entire he's, life. Well, and he's complaining to God about God. Yeah. That's that, that's a dangerous place to be, but he was just so at his wit's end that he's yelling at the sky. Yeah. So then Andrew, James, Zebedee, and John um, approach in another boat. They know what's going on, and they want to help however they can. Um, and then... Uh, Morning comes, they have caught nothing and downtrodden. They're doom and gloom and they're heading ashore where surely Simon's going to be arrested. And then there's Matthew sitting with his dog. um, And Zebedee says to the rest of the crew, sometimes the sea bests all of us. And you have to wonder if that remark doesn't also have a double meaning. It's not just that they're defeated by the sea in the tangible sense, but there's this sense of spiritual defeat among all of them, Simon in particular, but that's, among all of that's them. That's a great insight, but yeah, it's absolutely true. It is. It, the sea defeating them does seem to be kind of a, a type of uh, the, the world defeating us, or at least feeling like the world's defeated us spiritually as well. So as their boat's approaching the shore, they see a crowd on the beach, and at first they think it's the Romans there to arrest Simon. They're just lying in wait for him to bring the boat ashore. But in reality, it's a crowd of people sitting on the beach, and they're listening to a teacher. And from the angle of the camera, you can see that Mary Magdalene is among the people listening. And all of a sudden, Andrew gets really, really excited, and he says, Simon, Simon, it's him. And uh, Jesus turns towards the boat and he asks if he can step into the boat to turn around and address the crowd so that they can hear him better. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, is are the acoustics better when you're standing yeah. up on a boat with water around you? I don't know. But that's the request that he makes. And Simon gives him permission to step aboard the boat to finish his lesson. 
And I love the, I mean, the look on Andrew's face is just, this is the guy. You know, just the whole time throughout that whole scene, he's just, this is, this is the guy. This is the man. I'm getting to see him again. Beautifully, Jesus launches into a parable about fishing, and he points out that nets gather all kinds of fish. You get good fish and bad fish, and the good fish are sorted out and put into barrels. And he parallels this with the separation of the evil from the righteous and how the evil are destined for a fiery furnace. And he ends by saying, these parables I tell make sense to some, but not to others. And in this moment, if you are biblically literate, you know what's about to come. And Jesus turns to Simon and he says, cast the nets out one more time. Yeah, and I love, and I love how um, Andrew says to trust me as I have trusted you. This man is the Messiah. Uh, Jesus continues to teach, and you know Jesus asks Simon to hand him the net. You know, does goes through all that, um, and then you see Simon kind of somewhat interested throughout the parable, somewhat kind of intrigued. He's he's gone from just a cle- uh, complete uh, disinterest into kind of mild interest into what's going on. Probably thinking at this point, what the heck? You know, I'm about to go to prison. Uh, this is my last day as a free man. I might as well at least kind of pay attention to to what's to what's going on. Uh, but you have this 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 urging from Andrew. This uh, you've got to listen to what this guy says. You got to do what this guy says. You know, Jesus. Um, and then Jesus tells him what to put the net down for a catch. Oh, he t- he turns to Simon. He says, you know, I, before he's you know I have something for you. Uh, and I I love the way that's how it's introduced because that had to be somewhat of a just to Peter, like, what? <laughs> Why would you have something for me? And, of course, the scene continues on, and then Jesus tells him to let the net down. Yeah, let the net down one more time. And Simon, with this attitude of complete resignation, it's like, fine. At, and he at your word. tosses the net over the side, and then we get the miracle of the dramatic draft of fish and the water starts to roil and the boat starts to tip over because of the weight of the fish in the net. And Matthew, by the way, is on the shore watching the entire thing go down. <laughs> yes. And, and why is he there? He's there at the request of the Roman prayer to who certainly had no interest in the the popularity of some Jewish rabbi. But it, it to me, when I saw it, I was like, you know what? It's amazing how God works through the secular world. It was a secular world that pointed Matthew to that location where he got to witness firsthand this unbelievable miracle that, as we see in subsequent in, uh, episodes, ends up wrecking him. Yep, yep. So Simon and some of the other fishermen are struggling with this net. They don't want the boat to tip over. They're trying to get this enormous catch into the boat. And Jesus is just standing there watching, and he's grinning from ear to ear, and he even starts to chuckle. And it struck me that, you know, you can actually imagine that this is exactly how Jesus was 
when he watched others delight in his miracles. Yes. Like you, you just imagine he would grin and he would he would laugh in the joy of it. Surely there to be there'd at least be a little smirk or something that came across <laughs> his mouth, you know, as he as he knew what was what was about to happen. Because as we were talking about more so in the previous episode, Jesus is the mo- he's most completely human. He's he's just like Adam and Eve were were truly fully human before the fall. So Jesus is true truly fully human, you know, right now and he's going to he's going to humor uh, was created by God and you can only imagine as him being fully human, he's going to have the full human experience of emotions that's that's going to come in a situation like that. One of them would be I, I can't wait to see the look on this guy's face when these nets come <laughs> come full of fish. You right. Know? I mean, how delightful. How utterly delightful. And then Simon, I'm, I'm sorry, Andrew looks over at Simon and he just says, Simon, I told you. <laughs> I told you. He said he's the guy. We found the Messiah. And then is uh, probably the most emotionally powerful scene of the episode, and this is Simon getting out of the boat. Jesus has asked him to follow him, and Simon just hits his knees, weeping, and he says, depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am or the things I've done. And Jesus very simply says, lift up your head, fisherman. And I love that. It gave me chills both times oh, that yeah. I watched it. Oh, for sure. I mean, at this point, uh, at this point, you, it's the full culmination. You understand the whole why they wrote the backstory that they did. Because, when, because it was more than just, oh, I'm just generally a sinful guy. It's they created this amazing backstory to Simon so that when he does fall on his knees before Jesus, it's, it's very real and a in a very tangible way that he has done things even very recently within the past few days that he's incredibly ashamed of and and it just leads to this beautiful moment of him coming before Christ and just laying it all laying it all down before him and when Jesus says lift up your head fisherman uh, you have this overwhelming idea of the redemption of Simon and that he is accepted as he is. You know, yeah. that whole, how does that hymn go? Come just as you are. Yeah. Just as I yeah. am. Right. Yeah. Uh, I and, love and, that. and an interesting uh, filmmaking note about that scene. I'm amazed at how realistic they made all of those fish look. Because if you, if you look at the behind the scenes about that episode, it's amazing that, there were zero fish in those nets. It was literally weights. Oh. It was still heavy. They were still struggling to push it up, and that they were not acting. They actually were struggling to push it up. Th- those were all like these big weights that, that were in there. There were zero fish, actual fish, in that scene. So it was all CGI it magic. Was, it was all CGI. Uh, and a shout-out to Out of Order Studios, who does their post-production stuff. They've been doing a phenomenal job. Uh, yeah, so, and they put all of those fish in there, and you, it's funny to watch the behind the scenes because it's just the actors struggling, you know, to get this this net full of these, like, big kind of 
weight type things. I don't even know how to describe them back in back into the boat, but it was uh, yeah. So that's a, a a little behind the scenes for you there on that scene. Yeah. So Simon says, what do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. And it's at this point that Jesus explicitly says, follow me. And he says, I will. And Andrew turns to Jesus and simply says, rabbi. And then Jesus calls James and John. And you see this uh, this celebration on the beach with these these men, they are recognizing that the long-awaited Messiah is now among them. And I think it beautifully portrayed the very real weariness in waiting that had to be among the Jewish people at this point because it had been centuries of prophetic silence. Yeah. And they're waiting, and they're waiting, and now they're under Roman oppression, and they're waiting, and they're waiting for the Messiah to come and deliver them. And the moment is here, and they're celebrating on the beach because they know this is the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world, and that he's going to deliver them from oppression. And Jesus turns to them, and he says, from now on, I will make you fishers of men, and you are to gather as many as possible, all kinds. I will sort them out later, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> wow. And, and you get in that scene, you get the first look of Jesus and a group of followers together. Uh, obviously, we got a foreshadow of that with Jesus and the little children and episode three. But now you kind of... If, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the first scene of Jesus and a group of followers that began walking and traveling together. It really is. You have to wonder about the crowd on the beach that he was teaching before the fishing boats arrived, because clearly Mary Magdalene is part of this little crowd. So you you wonder, okay, did he already have a little bit of a foot following well, I think of he, which she was a part? I think he did, because they just kind of joined the group. They right. just kind of join uh, Simon and Andrew and James and John, uh, uh, little James and Thaddeus and Mary just kind of come on in as if he didn't call them. So in my mind, it's kind of understood that he already had called them to follow him before that scene. And uh, and so there you have now a, now a much more sizable group. It looks like Jesus and the disciples. And you get a picture of, and for me, it was like seeing Mary with them was, 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 I would say, enlightening to me because you always think of Jesus and the 12, Jesus and the 12. But he did have women that were following him, including Mary. And, uh, and so that was, a, that was a really neat visual to get that as well. Um, and then, of course, to see uh, just what a prominent uh, uh, character she becomes as the, uh, as the season, uh, season continues. Right. In the final closing scene of the show, we see John the Baptist in prison and Nicodemus is there to visit him. And Nicodemus has him identify himself. Are you the one they call John the baptizer? And John says, yes. And Nicodemus says, I have questions for you about miracles. Uh, And so, you know, they're going to have quite an enlightening conversation there. Uh, but that's the the end of the episode. And Ryan, unless you have anything else you want to say about the actual content, I thought we might end the episode by saying a little bit about the interesting chronology 
that the writers are using starting please, with this episode. Please, go ahead. Yeah, so those who are pretty biblically literate will realize, well, wait a minute, this miracle with the enormous catch of fish uh, did not come at this point in the biblical narrative. The official first public miracle of Jesus, we haven't seen yet. We won't see that until the next episode where we get to watch the wedding celebration at Cana and Jesus turning the water into wine. That is recognized across the board in biblical scholarship as the first public miracle of Jesus. And I've pondered this and pondered this and wondered why the writers felt that changing the chronology of the miracles uh, was an important way to tell the story. And I haven't really arrived at a conclusion on that. Do you have any thoughts, Ryan, about why they might have chosen to do that? Yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, I've I've heard Dallas talk a, a lot. I'm a bit of a chosen nerd, so I watch his videos on Instagram and, and all the behind the scenes and, and, and all of that. And he is, the way he's described the chosen is, it, he didn't say this, but it's not a visual Bible. It's not like Matthew. It's not like John, as we've as we've talked about in previous episodes. It's it's different. And so he's just said for for story flow, I think, and for just what they think will make the story flow better, that they they take creative license, not just in dialogue and not just in just I mean making up scenes that are not scriptural. But I, I think that they just I think the writers just feel like doing it this way would make the story flow better. And it's interesting for, for the medium that they're working. Yeah, with, for the medium right? that they're that they're working with, and and I think that there might even be uh, some instances where uh, even in the gospels themselves, you know, take for example the um, the Gospel of John, where Jesus cleanses the temple at the beginning of the gospels, whereas in the synoptic gospels, Jesus cleanses the temple at the end of the gospels, and it's the reader needs to understand that's not a contradiction. It's, it's the fact that they don't necessarily, when they're uh, chronicling events, they don't necessarily, you know, put things in that, in a chronological order. And, uh, and so maybe an example like that for, for Dallas and the writers could be, uh, okay, well, you know, even the Gospels didn't put everything in a perfectly chrono- chronological order. I remember in the Last Supper where Jesus says, come, let us go from here. But then the next chapter, like they're in the last, but in the next chapter, he's continuing on with, with dialogue, uh, s- still there in the room at the, at the Last Supper, in the upper room. So um, I think, you know, again, if, if the Gospels aren't necessarily, uh, all the events are in cr- chronological order, then maybe he, they felt a little bit more licensed. Hey, maybe we could, you know, we could do that too with, with something that everybody knows is not a perfectly, you know, line by line, you know, through the Gospels type production. I love that point. That never even occurred to me to say, hey, well, look, the Gospel of John takes this same sort of creative license with the historical account of Jesus's life and ministry. He switches around the order to fulfill a theological purpose of the narrative, whereas when you look at the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are far more concerned 
with the orderly account of things. Right. Like this happened and then this happened and this happened. This is how it all went down. But that is not John's concern. So that's a very great point when we consider the purpose of the filmmakers and taking the creative license to mix events around a little bit for the sake of making very important points. And I suppose we could ponder this episode again, having said this, and ask, well, what was it they were trying to convey by using this instance as uh, the first big public miracle that we get to see in the course of events. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that that's a great question. Maybe we can uh, ponder that on, come back to that at some point. So, well, that is episode four of The Chosen. Uh, Melissa, do you have any final thoughts on that before we wrap it up? Nope, I think that's good. Okay, good deal. Well, guys, thank you guys once again for joining us on this week's episode of Faith, Reason, and Culture. Don't forget you can email us your questions, comments, anything you would like, frc at cgmradio.com, and we would love to discuss those and answer those on future episodes. Make sure to find us online, cgmradio.com slash FRC. You can subscribe there or by simply searching Faith, Reason, Culture in your favorite podcasting app. God bless you all, and we'll see you for our next installment on our continuing series on The Chosen.